Soy Justino Piaguaje, presidente de la nación Ciecopay de la Amazonía Ecuatoriana. Justino Piaguaje was born here, in the Amazon. His father led the Ciecopay Nation, sometimes referred to as the Sequoia. And now that job has fallen to Justino and some of his brothers. The Ciecopay's ancestral home was splintered by a war between Peru and Ecuador. If you're not super up on your South American geography, Peru is on the west coast of South America, Ecuador is to the north of it, Colombia is north of Ecuador, and Venezuela is just around the bend farther north. All of these countries are to the west of Brazil. A lot of times when people hear Amazon, they think Brazil, but the Amazon actually crosses into several other countries. There are less than 750 people left in Justino's tribe, and they're currently under very serious threat from COVID-19. Several have sought refuge in the Amazon, but they may struggle to find clean water there. Por este río Aguarico, hace tiempos en la explotación petrolera de Chevron, Texaco, virtieron miles de barriles de petróleo. This is a video of Justino on YouTube. He's standing on a bridge over a huge rushing river, and he's saying, this river, the Aguarico River. Long ago, when they were exploring for petroleum, the oil companies dumped thousands of barrels of oil into it. Virtieron aguas tóxicas por este río. Por este río que a nosotros, por miles de años, nos proveía de alimentos. They dumped toxic water into this river. He means wastewater from oil and gas drilling. Into this river that for thousands of years nourished us. Yo soy testigo de cómo ha sido víctima nuestra gente. Se han muerto de cáncer, se han muerto de enfermedades. No han podido alimentarse bien y seguimos siendo así. I am a witness to how our people have been victimized. They have died of cancer, they have died of disease, they have not been able to eat well, and that continues today. In Latin America, Ecuador is seeing one of the world's worst coronavirus outbreaks, with possibly thousands dead. But that On top of various ongoing health issues, Ecuador has been a global hotspot during the COVID-19 pandemic. Some Secopai elders have already died from the disease. To access clean water and avoid further contact with the virus, Justino and his tribe have been venturing further and further into their ancestral lands deep in the Amazon. But those lands are surrounded on all sides by oil fields. And because they've been breathing air polluted by oil and gas refineries, and of course cars and other factories too, for the past few decades, these people are more likely to die if they do catch the virus. Quarantine looks really different. If to really be safe, you have to hide deep in the jungle and hope no one dumps oil or wastewater into the river you drink from. Meanwhile, 3,000 miles away in Manhattan, quarantine also looks really different for Stephen Donziger. Hey, yeah. can you give me one minute to use the bathroom? Yeah, 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 go for it. Donziger is talking to me from his two-bedroom apartment in Manhattan. We spent May and June talking every weekend by Zoom, him, me, and my co-reporter on this season, Karen Savage. Hi, Karen. Hey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. Back in Boston. Can you hear me? 
Sorry about that. He liked to leave the video on and would spend the majority of our time kind of hanging his head out the window, trying to get fresh air and sunshine. He's got all the clean water he needs, but sun and air are hard to come by. Everyone goes outside, even with the pandemic, I mean, with a face mask in New York right now, and they go right. walking or get exercise or walk in the park. And but I can't do that. While we were all calling quarantine lockdown this year, Donziger has literally been on lockdown. He's been on house arrest for over a year at this point. To leave his apartment, he has to submit a request to the court 48 hours in advance and then provide documentation of where he's gone. We'll find out why and what that has to do with a river in the Amazon after this quick break. I want to recommend one of my favorite podcasts to you, In the Dark. In the Dark investigates critical stories that might not otherwise be told. The second season covered Curtis Flowers, a black man tried six times for the same crime. And Doug Evans, the Mississippi prosecutor determined to see him executed. In the Dark's team of reporters revealed new facts and evidence which proved pivotal in the Supreme Court's decision to hear Flowers' case this past spring. Recently, the state of Mississippi announced that it will drop all charges and not seek a seventh trial in the case. Against incredible odds, Flowers is a free man. You can listen to In the Dark wherever you listen to podcasts. spend an average of 90% of their time indoors, which is bad news because according to the EPA, indoor air could be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. In some cases, it could be a hundred times more polluted. Data shows that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths around the world. I have a strange little problem in my neck of the woods, and that is that everybody likes to burn their garden trash and other trash too. Lots of trash burning going on in my neighborhood. Not great. Air Doctor has really, really helped. I just fire it up on days when I can tell everybody's lighting their trash fires, and it keeps the household air clean. Air Doctor is the air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out dangerous contaminants and allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code DRILLED to get up to 39% off or up to $300 off, depending on the model. Lock this special offer in by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code DRILLED. Environmental justice is a talking point in every politician's toolkit. But do you ever wonder where it all began? On this week's Throughline, we're taking you back to 1978, where a fight against a toxic dump in North Carolina started the environmental justice movement. Join NPR's Climate Week and listen to Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Amy Westervelt. Welcome back to Drilled. This is season five. La Lucha en la Jungla. 
the rumble in the jungle. The judge in Ecuador has ordered the oil company Chevron to pay more than $9 billion in damages and other costs. It's the result of a long-running lawsuit involving pollution in the Amazon jungle. The damages are more than Exxon... Back in 2011, Stephen Donziger helped win a big case against the oil giant Chevron. As a result, Chevron was ordered to pay more than $9 billion to clean up waste pits of oil and refining fluids left in the Ecuadorian Amazon by Texaco, the company Chevron acquired in 2000. But the case didn't end there. Back in the U.S., Chevron took Donziger and the other lawyers to civil court, filing a racketeering case against them, otherwise known as a RICO case, and accusing them of fraud. Donziger and the other attorneys lost that case back in 2014. But in 2018, the judge in that RICO case came after him. He ordered me to turn over my computer and cell phone to Chevron's lawyers in the middle of a litigation. And it's sort of like, you know, asking a lawyer to turn over his or her confidential case file to your adversary counsel right in the middle of a litigation. It's obviously a major intrusion into my rights, into the rights of my clients who are entitled to have confidentiality with their lawyer. Um, And I I just felt like it was an illegal order. So I told them, like, you know, I can't turn this over without violating my ethical duties to myself and and to my clients in Ecuador. Um, So I'm going to appeal it. Donziger was in the process of filing that appeal when he heard from the judge again. So what happened was I was up in Toronto working with the legal team for the Ecuadorians in Canada, because that's the country where there's a lot of work being done to enforce the judgment against Chevron internationally. And over my computer came a notification that this judge had charged me with crimes. Um, I was shocked, to say the least. And he had ordered me to appear in court, I think, a week later. Judge Kaplan charged him with criminal contempt, but in conjunction with a civil case. So while the original case could result in fines, this one could actually land Donziger in jail. Basically, there's no statute for it. You know, it's not like assault or a burglary or a murder. It's basically if a judge decides that a person, a lawyer who's practicing before him, um, treats the court with disrespect, or somehow doesn't comply with an order that the judge feels is, is you know, in a sufficient kind of way, the judge can actually take that and on his or her own volition with no check on his or her power can charge a lawyer with a crime. It's an awesome, enormous power that is easily subject, in my view, to abuse. Kaplan, a senior U.S. district judge for the Southern District of New York has charged Donziger with contempt for refusing to hand over his files and for a few other things that we'll get to in future episodes. When he got back from Canada a few days after this trip he was on, Donziger headed to court, intending to ask for a couple of weeks to give him time to hire a lawyer. He thought it would be a pretty straightforward administrative thing. His wife and a couple friends came with him. The first day I walked into court on August 6th uh, with my wife and a couple of friends, and I was like, you know, this is going to be like no problem. I mean, you know, I've been coming to court for 10 years in this courthouse, and 
I'm a lawyer and, um, you know, I've never committed a crime and, you know, they're just going to, I'm just going to ask for two weeks so I can figure out how to hire a lawyer and then we'll come back and we'll figure out what we're going to do. Instead, I, I realized pretty quickly there was like this thing in the air, the hostility of like the judge and her clerks and the court personnel. So when a judge like Kaplan charges a lawyer with criminal contempt, they're not allowed to oversee that case themselves. Instead, another judge is supposed to be selected at random. This is to cut down on any personal animus or bias a judge might have against a lawyer who has disrespected him or his court. Donziger has accused Kaplan of handpicking the judge for his case. Her name is Loretta Preska. She's a fellow of the Federalist Society, just like Kaplan. And Donziger thinks it's all suspicious. Here he is again. They subjected me to an interview with what's called a pretrial services officer, which is an office in the, office in the courthouse that interviews um, people charged with crimes to determine what their conditions of release, if any, should be. And they assess your financial assets and your likelihood that you're going to flee. And they were treating me like I was just like a, a criminal. They required me to give up my passport. And like, did you have your passport on you or did you? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. They, they, what they do is they give you a few days to comply Mm. with the threat of jail hanging over you if you don't comply. And I mean, obviously I'm going to give up my passport if ordered by the court. And also I had no lawyer. You know, I'm not a criminal defense lawyer. And just because you're a lawyer doesn't mean you're a good lawyer for every situation by any means. And I needed a lawyer. And I told the judge, I really don't want to do anything without a lawyer. So she found a lawyer for me in the courthouse who agreed to represent me just for purposes of part of this, what's called an arraignment. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to wait for him to show up. So this is all happening behind the scenes in the offices of the courthouse. Meanwhile, Donziger's wife and friends are waiting for him and time is passing and everyone is just starting to get really worried. And I remember we went back to this, to the jury room, which was empty, so we could have some privacy. And he looked at me and he goes, he goes, you're living a nightmare. And, you know, when I walked back to that jury room, I passed my wife who was sitting in the gallery, you know, completely flipped out. Mm-hmm. And, and she was with a good friend of mine, Karen Hinton, and I, I, I mouthed to them. I said, I think they're going to try to put me in jail today. At this point, Donziger's memory of this day starts to get a little hazy, the way your memory does when you're in an incredibly stressful situation. He doesn't remember much about standing in front of the judge, but he does remember the prosecutor. There was a prosecutor there, actually three of them. And this was another very bizarre feature, uh, I think unprecedented, is the judge, Kaplan's criminal charges, he first took them to the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York. That's the office that is the regular prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Um, and they looked at the charges and refused to prosecute the charges, you know, which I think speaks volumes about whether they're worthy. Instead, he appointed a private law firm. That is, he went to a corporate law firm and said, you be the prosecutor. I'll use my inherent power as a U.S. judge to let you act as the U.S. government. The firm was called Seward and Kissel. By the time he left that courtroom, Donziger was terrified and in a daze. Basically, they said I had to put up an $800,000 bond 
give up my passport and wear an ankle bracelet 24 seven and not leave my apartment. Mm. I was so freaked out. Like by the time I walked out of court to go get my ankle bracelet, um, I almost was just relieved to be going home. Right. I mean, they could have, they could have put me in handcuffs, ankle bracelet and shackles. And like, I would have been in a weird way relieved to just go to my house, man. I needed to get the hell out of there and get home and just regroup and get a lawyer and figure out my next step. So, you know, I then had to go to this office and had to wait around and I got fitted with an ankle bracelet and fingerprinted. Then he had to go straight home, no lunch, no stops along the way. You know, we finally got out of there like two hours later. You know, the the hearing had been at 10 a.m. So, you know, we finally maybe left the court at one o'clock. And from that point on, I have not been a free man. Like I, 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 I couldn't go grab lunch. I had to go right to the subway. Um, I had to sort of be that person with an ankle bracelet so you're always aware on the subway of your, whether your pants are covering your bracelet, which is, you know, the bottom of your leg. People look at it funny. That relief he felt to be going home was pretty quickly replaced by panic. He still had to come up with $800,000 or he'd be put in jail. And the judge had given him one week to come up with that money. He decided to put his apartment up as the bond, and the court accepted that. So he was in the clear. About a week later, Chevron, as I said, their lawyers were in court monitoring my criminal case. So on the civil RICO case, they had convinced Kaplan to impose court costs on me to cover some of their costs. So in addition to trying to destroy my reputation, trying to take all my money, freeze my bank accounts, and then ultimately deprive me of my liberty. So as part of the financial feature of the attack, Chevron had, prior to my you know, appearance in the criminal contempt case, they had gotten a $800,000 cost order against me from Judge Kaplan to pay some of their court costs. In any event, when I posted the bond secured by my apartment, suddenly the prosecutor showed up with a new letter saying, we're concerned about it because Chevron has some sort of notice of lien on his apartment because of this $800,000 cost order that Kaplan had issued against me like a year or two before. And they said that as a result, that apartment is not unencumbered and it's not, uh, it's not adequate to post the bond because Chevron has a claim on my apartment. So the judge, again, appointed by Kaplan, immediately issues an order agreeing with the prosecutor and giving me 48 hours to find a substitute bond. This stressed me out when Donziger told me about it, and it stresses me out again just listening to it. If you've ever worried about how you're going to pay rent or a medical bill or grocery bill, the idea of having 48 hours to come up with $800,000 or you're going to jail... Wow. And just a note here that, of course, this happens all throughout our criminal justice system. There are people sitting in jails all over the country right now because they couldn't afford a bond, whether it's $800 or $800,000. It's a terrible situation to be in. So at this point, Donziger's having a full-blown panic attack. I wrote an email and basically put it out there and explained the exact situation 
And I uh, sent it out to five people. It was probably eight o'clock at night. And the most bizarre thing happened. I got a phone call 10 minutes later. Wow. From a man who lives in San Francisco that I've known for 20, 25 years. Mm -hmm. He's probably, before this happened, he was one of the people I admire most in the world. He's done a lot of work in Ecuador for indigenous peoples. And he called me up and with like, literally no questions asked, he says, I'll do it. Wow. I mean, honestly, just thinking about it, you know, brings tears to my eyes because, well, it's sort of hard to explain, like when you're, when you're really down yeah, and you put out a plea mm -hmm. to the world and you know, it just kind of reinforces your, your faith because you know, most people give a shit. They really care. So he avoided jail, but he can't set foot outside his apartment door without his ankle bracelet going off. And like I said before, if he wants to leave the apartment, he has to request permission 48 hours in advance. And it might not be granted. It's not an automatic thing. I'm tracked 24-7. Um, even around my own apartment. My ankle bracelet, which kind of is very big and, and, and feels like a garage door op opener, you know, on my ankle. Mm -hmm. I call it the black claw. Um, it, it talks to me, sometimes wakes me and my wife up in the middle of the night. And when the battery runs low, it says um, this weird kind of Caucasian male voice that's taped comes on and it says... Uh, Something like, um, I've heard it so many times, I can't remember it exactly right now, but it says something like, um, battery low, recharge unit, battery low, recharge unit. And it just keeps repeating it over and over. So, oh you know, I have to get up and go, there's a base that where the battery, the other battery's charging. I have to change the battery in the middle of the night. But the crazy part about that, I mean, you know, that might happen once every couple of weeks when I don't get the timing right or the battery didn't charge right. Mm -hmm. But like literally every night I go to bed, like worried it's going to happen. Again, Donziger has still not had a trial. The charge against him is a misdemeanor. He's been on house arrest for more than a year. I spoke with him just a few days before his trial is supposed to happen. He's been asking for it to be postponed again because the COVID restrictions make it impossible for his lawyers to show up. There's been a whole back and forth. The court seems to be pretty intent on pushing the trial forward. And Donziger's really, really worried that their whole goal is to just put him in jail. So right now, it's um, the week before Labor Day 2020. And I have a, my criminal contempt trial without a jury, without my lawyers, because they were just disqualified as scheduled for six days from now. And the judge is trying to force me into trial, taking extraordinary measures to put me on trial, in my opinion, so they can incarcerate me in, in basically a, a proceeding that would be totally unfair and unconstitutional. 
When we spoke before about this possibility, he said he's worried about what might happen to him there. It's not just about being locked up, especially during a pandemic when COVID rates are quite high in prisons. This past year has not been good for his mental health. I have an adolescent son, a 13-year-old son, a wife and a family and, you know, a very uncertain future. It's enormously stressful. Yeah. Um, it affects your sleep. It affects your outlook. Um, it affects everything about life. It's very psychologically destabilizing. Yeah. And I, w- I would argue it's designed to be. I mean, that's why they're doing it. So we know how Donziger wound up with an ankle bracelet under house arrest in his Manhattan apartment. But you might still be wondering why? Why would an oil company, as Donziger alleges, go to this much trouble to shut him down? On our next episode, we're going to get into all of that and how the heck this all happened. This is a story with a lot of different sides, and sometimes even people who seem like they'd be on the same team don't see eye to eye in any way at all. Ultimately, after reading thousands and thousands of pages of court documents and spending dozens of hours talking to people involved in the case, I think I probably agree most with this guy. Am I unmuted? Okay. Yeah, that's Alec Baldwin. Somehow he wound up involved in this case too. There's only one issue that needs to be discussed here, and that is, what is the right thing to do on behalf of the Ecuadorian people? Of course, not everyone agrees on what exactly the right thing to do for the Ecuadorians is either. To try to suss all of that out, we'll head back to Ecuador and back in time all the way to the 1960s. Come back for that. Drilled is an original production of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. It's reported and produced by me, Amy Westervelt. My co-reporter on this season is Karen Savage. Our editor is Julia Ritchie. Mixing and mastering by Mark Bush. Additional reporting from Emily Gertz. Additional production help from Sarah Ventry. Original score was composed by B. Beeman. Matt Fleming created our beautiful artwork for this season. Our fact checker is Wudon Yan. Our First Amendment attorney is James Wheaton and the First Amendment Project. Maggie Taylor is our marketing director. You can find supplemental stories, documents, photos, and interviews on our website at drillednews.com. If you're a Patreon subscriber, thank you. Your membership is paying for this podcast right now. Patreon subscribers get access to an ad-free podcast feed, and we're working on getting you more perks for your membership, including early access to episodes for this season. If you don't want to wait a whole week for the next episode, consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash drilled. That's it for this time. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.